What is truth? This is the question that was asked by Pontius Pilate to Jesus Christ on the night when Jesus was betrayed and put on trial. Now, Pilate never stuck around for the answer. But if he had, he would have realized that the man he was speaking with was literally the embodiment of truth. And Pilate's question echoes through the halls of history right down to our present day. And today, what is truth is literally one of the most important questions that we can ask. That is what we're talking about today. Skeptics, atheists, agnostics, adherents of other religions, they will all say that Christianity is not true. But what if the very concept of truth is impossible without first believing that the Christian worldview is true? That is our topic. That's what we're going to get into today. This is Worldview Legacy, the podcast from the Think Institute that helps Christian men become the worldview leaders their families and churches need. My name is Joel Sedekase. I'm a Christian apologist and former pastor who used to defend my faith the completely wrong way. Then God changed my attitude and my approach, and now I help Christian men to explain, share, and defend the truth of what they believe and to pass it on to the younger generation. If you are intrigued by this topic and you want to learn more about it and you want to study with other like-minded individuals and men who are on the same journey as you seeking to lead their families in the Christian worldview, then I want to tell you about our free online community. It's called The Think Squad, and this is the free fellowship where you can discuss and learn from over 700 others who are on the same journey that you are. Every day we're finding answers to important questions and sharing resources that will help you to understand and live out God's unique calling for your life as a worldview leader. I'm going to tell you more about how to access that group at the end of the show. Now, today, specifically, We're going to talk about a few things, why it can be difficult to define the truth, the the three C's of truth, the relationship between truth and logic, and the correspondence between truth and reality. We'll also get into why something that is true must correspond to the conventions of language, and why coherence and correspondence and comprehensibility, the three C's, all presuppose God. Then we'll look at why atheism has a major problem with the very concept of truth. This is an article that I wrote on my blog years ago, and it's probably my most shared article, mostly because I'm constantly sharing it with atheists and skeptics, especially on Twitter. This episode is going to be especially helpful for you when you find yourself in a discussion or a debate with those who firmly believe differently than you or who straight up deny Christianity or even attack you for believing it. You can commit these points to memory or you can take the information and repurpose it or just send this podcast to your discussion partner, to your friend to listen to. And by the way, if that's how you got here, someone recommended this to you, welcome. I'm so, so glad that you're here. I hope that you and I can engage in some fruitful dialogue today. So now let's get into it. What is truth? And how does the very concept of truth presuppose God or make no sense without God? Now, much ink has been spilled by apologists and philosophers over the centuries demonstrating that the Christian worldview is true. 
But what if the very concept of truth, it, it makes no sense without first believing in the Christian worldview, in the truth of Scripture, in the existence and the reality of the triune God of Scripture? Now, like I said, this article was originally published on my website, and you can actually go to thethink.institute and listen to it there. And um, it only takes about 12 minutes to read through. Now, I've been seeking out conversations with atheists on Twitter for a while now, and sometimes they will actually find me. And a recent conversation with one chap uh, got me thinking. I made the point to him that truth presupposes God and that faith in God is the necessary precondition or assumption that stands behind any truth-seeking endeavor. If you want to search for truth, you have to already presuppose that God is real. And he asked me why that is, why I believe that. And in the course of explaining my position, I asked him if he believed in absolute truth. And he said, no, he said he didn't believe in absolute truth. Now, this raised two questions that I realized I needed to do some more thinking about, really think deeply about. First, why does truth presuppose God? Now, I've written about science. I've written about logic. I've talked about these on my podcast but why truth? I did believe this was the case, but could I explain it? Can you? Can you articulate why truth presupposes God? The second thing I thought about is this. Is it an appropriate dodge on the part of the atheist? Is it a, is it a legitimate move to simply declare he doesn't believe in truth or absolute truth and therefore to avoid belief in God? I knew this couldn't be the case. There had to be something wrong with this, but I didn't know if I could express why that was. Now, Jesus says that truth is very important. In fact, truth is essential for freedom. Truth sets you free. And here, this guy on Twitter was denying the truth, not only um, the truth of John 8, 32, but the very possibility of truth itself. And therefore, the very possibility of his own freedom. As a follower of Jesus, I wanted him to be free. I, I didn't want to just destroy him with facts and logic. I wanted to communicate to him and to others why truth needs God so that he could know God for himself and he could come into a saving relationship and saving faith with Jesus Christ. I wanted him to see how truth connects to God. And so I realized I needed to learn more about this. I needed to do some more serious thinking. So I went on a journey and I undertook the task of defining what truth is and why belief in God is the necessary precondition for truth and why simply saying the truth doesn't exist is not a legitimate or effective move. Okay, let's talk about why it is difficult to define truth. We have to begin with the definition of the word truth without just denying or defining it rather by itself. And this is actually a lot harder than you might think at first. Truth is one of those words that we use all the time, but we really don't think about what it means because it seems so self-evident. Truth is what's true. It's just truth. Now, Webster's says that truth is the state of being the case. But this really feels incomplete, doesn't it? What is in the state of being the case? What case? What sort of thing can actually be true? 
can a thing be true? Can a rock be true? I've actually debated my brother Parker on this subject. Can a rock or a thing be true? I don't think so. Truth seems to be a quality of a quality of propositions. It can't be possessed by things. A rock cannot be true, but the statement that rock is over there or this rock is on the table can be true. For the purposes of this episode, then, we're going to build a more complete and useful definition of truth, a true definition, if you will, and then we're going to demonstrate that the truth is impossible without God. Now, I have read some commentary on this blog article, and one person pointed out they thought that I was contradicting myself when I say I want a true definition. But I don't think so. As we go, you're going to see that the definition of truth that I'm going to seek for is going to meet the very criteria that we're laying out. And so truth is how we're going to define it. That is going to be a true statement in and of itself. So it's not contradictory. I wanted to put that out there because I wanted, in case that person ever watches this video, I did see your comment. I appreciate your comment. And I, I respectfully think that what we're doing here is not contradictory. So we're going to build our definition of truth. So truth is an attribute of a proposition or a statement, if you will. And propositions, what are propositions? They are linguistic. They're statements that are made in a particular English, a, a particular language. It could be English or French, Koine Greek that the New Testament was written in, or something else. Propositions, being a function of language, only make sense if they follow the laws of logic, grammar, syntax, etc. But they also must contain real words that are meaningful within that language, or, or else you can't understand it. It makes sense to say in English, the rock is over there, but it doesn't make sense to say the rock fliggerty table the. That's nonsense. That's not English. Language is not just some freeform thing. This isn't nom. There are rules. And that collection of words doesn't follow the rules of language. Some of you got that reference. And therefore, it is incomprehensible, meaningless. Such a proposition, quote unquote, really isn't a proposition at all, and it makes no sense to ask whether it's true. So the first criterion of truth that a proposition must have to be true is it must accord with the rules of language. It must be comprehensible. So today we're going to talk about the three C's of truth, and the first C is comprehensibility. It must be comprehensible, which is just a word that we're using to describe a proposition that accords with the laws or the rules or the conventions of language. And yes, these are going to change from one language to the other. That's totally legitimate to point out. We're not talking about rules that are fixed, but they are rules and they do have to be there in order for a sentence to make sense, even if they change from language, from one language to, to another. Now let's talk about truth and logic. For any proposition to be sensible, or possible, it has to agree with the laws of logic, it has to follow them. Now, I've talked about logic quite a lot. There are three major rules of logic, the law of non-contradiction, the law of identity, 
and the law of excluded middle. The law of non-contradiction says two contradictory statements cannot both be true in the same sense and at the same time. The law of identity says a thing is what it is, and a the law of excluded middle is a statement cannot be both, uh, it has to be either true or false, not in between. That's the law of excluded middle. There's nothing in between truth and error, truth and false. Truth and falsehood. There we go. Now, these logical laws govern all proper thought and language. They are transcendental. What that means is that they transcend any one particular language or culture. Whereas vocabulary and grammar, syntax, the rules of language, these do change from language to language, as we mentioned, but the laws of logic are invariant. They are unchanging. Even if we use different laws or different words in different languages to describe them, the concepts themselves are unchanging. These laws are also immaterial. They're not made of matter. As Larry Dolendi likes to say, you can't hand me a bucket of logic or a bucket of non-contradiction. So they're immaterial. They are universal and they are knowable. We can know them. In fact, we enter into this world knowing them intrinsically. So a proposition in any language that contradicted itself or otherwise violated logic could not be meaningful and it could not be true. So the second criterion for truth, then, is that a proposition accords with the laws of logic. It must be, here's your second C, coherent. So the first C is comprehensibility. The second C is coherence. Now let's talk about truth and reality. This is the one that most people think of when they think of truth. A true proposition is one that describes the actual state of affairs. It affirms the way the world actually is, the real world, the world around us. So when I debated Tom Jump several months ago, and he's an atheist on YouTube, and he kept on saying uh, reality, or or, uh, he kept on talking about reality. You can go back and listen to that debate. It was a lot of fun. He kept on talking about reality. Reality is reality. And he, he was trying to make the point that you could get to the laws of logic from simply the fact that reality is reality, which we talked about. And respectfully, I think that he was totally debunked in that. But reality is the external world. It's the world around us. It, and it's the internal world. It's everything that is. And uh, this is the the third criterion for truth is that a proposition that is true must correspond to reality. It must, as Webster says, it must describe the actual state of affairs. Now, we've got our three C's. For a proposition to be true, it must be comprehensible in terms of language. It must be coherent in terms of the laws of logic, and it must be correspondent to actual reality, to the real world. Now, let's talk about why truth presupposes God, or truth, to even consider the concept of truth a meaningful one, you have to already believe that God exists, that God is really there, if you want to be consistent. This is the case because all three criteria individually require God in order to be meaningful or real. Let's talk about comprehensibility first. Remember, comprehensibility has to do with language. How does language presuppose God? 
Language presupposes God because it assumes that minds are designed to communicate and to understand ideas. If you didn't think that, if you didn't affirm that, you would never try to communicate anything because language is the communication of an idea using symbols, whether they're written symbols or verbal symbols, auditory symbols. And you're communicating an idea from one mind to another mind. It assumes that our minds are aimed at that kind of communication. So the use of language assumes design in the mind. It also assumes the uniformity in nature. It assumes that the future will be like the past. So if I say, I'd like to drink some milk, and I've said that in the past, and I, I now want to say that again, I'm assuming that those conventions remain the same over time and that comprehensibility hasn't just flipped, the rules of language haven't just changed, and so now milk has transformed its meaning and now means poison. I mean, that's silly. That's, that sounds crazy, but we're assuming this every time we speak. And we're not consciously assuming it. We're not saying, man, I hope the words that I used five minutes ago still mean the same thing in five minutes. I mean, nobody does that. You'd go crazy if you had to do that every time. But that's just the point. We all assume this is the way language works. Uniformity in nature, the, the very thing, we talk about that a lot in terms of science. It's required for science. But we assume that it's the case, that nature is uniform, that the future will be like the past. So the speaker and the hearer must believe that his words will mean the same thing five minutes from now that they meant five minutes ago. Is always means is. It never means is not. This requires a stability to the universe that can only be explained by the faithful, good God of Scripture. And if you want to read more about this, my brother Parker has an article on his website, trendsettercase.wordpress.com called Some Personal Reflections on Van Til's Transcendental Argument. I recommend it. Go check it out. So this all requires a stability to the universe, that the universe behaves faithfully, reliably. That can only be explained by the faithful, unchanging, good God of Scripture. So language presupposes God. Coherence presupposes God. Remember, coherence has to do with logic. So logic presupposes God because it assumes that there are true, immaterial, unchanging, good, universal, knowable laws that govern thought and speech. When I say true, what I mean is these laws of logic follow the same conventions that we've been talking about. They are comprehensible, they are logical, and they actually correspond to the way the world really is. Now, God grounds the laws of logic. God is all these things. God is true. God is immaterial. God is unchanging. God is good. God is universal. He's everywhere. You can't escape him. Go read Psalm 139 and you'll see that. And God is knowable. In fact, from Genesis to Revelation, we see a God who wants to know us. He wants to know you. He wants us to know him. And the greatest privilege in the world is not white privilege. It's knowing the Lord. It's knowing Jesus Christ. Now, could an atheist still believe in logic? Yes, of course. Atheists do this all the time, but they're being inconsistent. 
Because unbelief in God makes logic simply a matter of random subjective opinion. But that's not what logic is. Logic is unchanging, objective, universal law. Now, worse yet, if you have an atheist who's also an evolutionist, such a person, which most of them are, such a person would have to believe that his mind, which is really just his brain, is the product of time plus chance plus millions of years and therefore is not really aimed at anything other than survival and reproduction, which is, of course, unrelated to actual truth-seeking. So such a person must believe his own belief in logic is determined solely by his genes. He's just dancing to his DNA. But belief in logic, in that view, would not be rational. By believing in logic, he's just obeying the dictates of his genes, his genetic predispositions and programming. A mind that is evolved by chance could never step outside itself to analyze its own conclusions. And that includes its conclusions about logic. Given this worldview, given atheism plus evolution, there could be no reason to believe in logic. Logic presupposes God. So we talked about comprehensibility. We talked about coherence. Let's talk about correspondence. Correspondence also presupposes God. Why? Belief in reality presupposes God because it assumes that there is a state of affairs external to one's own mind. It assumes that there is a world that is objectively out there. That world is intelligible. It's capable of being known. We can make sense out of this world. We can actually know certain things about it. And this is something that philosophers have actually been debating since the Enlightenment, at least. How do we know anything about the external world? Immanuel Kant faced this question and wrote a lot about it. Now, this idea that the world is intelligible, this idea about correspondence, also presupposes that one's mind is actually able to know something about the external world. Again, we're back to this idea of design again. In order to make correspondent propositions about the world, in other words, to make statements about the world as it actually is, the human mind must correspond to the world in such a way that the thoughts in one's head actually reflect the reality outside one's mind. And so if that weren't the case, then conclusions about the world could never be correct or, or meaningful. The Bible teaches that God made man in his image with the ability to study the world and gain true knowledge from the world. And there are a ton of verses about the intelligibility of nature. Uh, for example, Psalm 19.1 says that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. You can check out, there's tons more verses in the Bible about this. We're not going to get into all of them right now. Uh, but actually, if you go back and read the original article that I wrote on this topic, it actually does link to a bunch of different verses. So, so far we've defined truth according to three criteria. We've defined those criteria, the three C's, and we've seen how each of them presupposes God. Now, let's examine why truth is a problem for those who deny God's existence. What is the atheist's problem with truth? Well, any way you look at it, truth presupposes God. So atheists have this huge dilemma, this huge conundrum. And let's go back and let's think again about my discussion partner on Twitter, the one who denied the absolute 
existence of truth, the existence of absolute truth. To affirm the existence of truth is to presuppose the existence of God and the truth of what the Bible teaches about God, the triune God of Scripture, as well as the world and humanity. On the other hand, if you deny truth, you are denying the possibility of saying that anything is true. This then would prevent you from saying that it is true that God does not exist. If there is no truth, then the fundamental proposition of atheism, God does not exist, or the God of the Bible has not convinced me that he exists, which is really another way of saying the same thing, that proposition cannot be true. It can't. If there's no such thing as true, God does not exist, cannot be true. But what about the dodge that my discussion partner made by denying absolute truth? Now, he didn't take it this far, but I'm going to make the argument for him. What if truth exists, but just not absolute truth? Is that possible? Well, absolute truth is what? It's just truth that is true universally and invariantly or unchangingly. Now, without getting too deep in the weeds, every true proposition is universally true, given enough details. As an example, take the proposition, Joel Sedeckes is a 13-year-old boy. That proposition was true, but it's no longer true. It's not true today in 2023 when I'm recording this. However, it is absolutely true that on October 21st, 1996, Joel Sedeckes was a 13-year-old boy. That statement is absolutely true. It's also absolutely true that I just spoke those words. And it's absolutely true that you are listening to these words at the current moment in time. So truth exists and absolute truth exists absolutely. There is no way around this. Now back to that Twitter conversation. I had affirmed to the person that I was speaking with that faith in God is necessary in order to pursue absolute truth. He asked me why, yet he did this while denying the existence of absolute truth. It's possible that he couldn't see how his own worldview made his question incoherent. Nonsense. On his worldview, given his worldview, it was true that truth didn't exist. Truth both existed and didn't exist. That's a logical contradiction. And he wanted to know how belief in God was necessary to pursue truth according to that definition. So he wanted me to affirm his flawed definition of truth, which was logically impossible. And I personally was not interested in defending the pursuit of a logical impossibility. I therefore wanted to establish that truth only made sense from the biblical worldview in the first place. This is why it's so important to define our terms when we're speaking with those who believe differently than we do. Because if you're trying to use God to defend a nonsense version of truth, well, you can't do that. No one could. No one could use anything to defend a nonsense version of, of truth or anything else. So when I pushed him on whether it was absolutely true that truth does not exist, and I pushed him on that because I wanted to see if he believed that, he told me that I apparently wasn't interested in having a conversation, and he ended the discussion. Sometimes it do be like that. So none of the above proves that atheists and unbelievers can't know anything true. They know all sorts of true things. That's actually the point. Truth is inescapable. It's not like an atheist can never make a true statement. 
But what all this shows is that atheism can't account for the existence of truth. The Bible, on the other hand, is full of truth, and it centers on the one who is the embodiment of truth himself, truth personified, as one commenter of uh, my article originally said it. That knowledge, the knowledge of Jesus, is bound up with obeying him as Lord. And then when you know Jesus and you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, he was buried and he was raised again on the third day, he now he now rules in heaven and forgives everyone who believes in him and repents of their sins. When you trust in Jesus, as Jesus himself says, the truth will set you free. So I hope this made you think. I hope this was helpful. And I hope that you've seen the truth, the very concept of truth only makes sense if God is real. Now, if you enjoyed this discussion, if you enjoy this sort of thing, I want to tell you about the Think Squad. This is our free community on Facebook, and we're up to almost 800 members right now. It's really amazing. And you can get access to this group and all the resources that we're putting out so you don't miss anything from the Think Institute. You can get that by simply going to facebook.com slash groups slash T-H-I-N-K-S-Q-U-A-D, Think Squad check it out. And I look forward to seeing you in the group. Just answer the membership questions and we'll get you in. So this has been a production of the Think Institute. We are a Christian teaching and evangelistic organization. We are a nonprofit and we are funded fully by individuals and like-minded families like yours. So please consider giving to the Think Institute by going to thethink.institute slash partner. Thank you so much for listening. And... My name is Joel Sedeckes. Until next time, Sedeckes out.